Hello, welcome to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mariam Jam. Happy Friday. Oh my goodness, you know, I want to give a big shout out to Aisha in Lahore in Pakistan. I got a message from her this week saying to me that she wants the podcast to be on time because there's a certain time where she can't listen to the podcast. That really gave me a way of thinking now. Thank you so much for supporting I Am The Code and the podcast. I didn't know that people like Aisha will listen to this. My sincere hope is that the podcast is changing your mind, is helping you become a better person, is guiding you through life and through difficult times. I really hope so. Because the whole idea for the podcast is to elevate humanity. And each time you support I Am The Code, you are doing this. You are elevating young women and girls all across the world. Never forget that. And the intentionally themed seasons are there for you to discover who you are as a human being. I discovered who I was many years ago. That's why now I'm in a position, I think, to give back and to help. Discovering your purpose takes time, but you need to start somewhere. So thank you for your loyalty, for your kindness, your messages, everything you are doing. That's why I wanted to invite my guest this week. He is a great friend of mine who has done so much work in the tech ecosystem of Africa. If you want to understand the tech ecosystem of Africa, there is somewhere where we can start. Many people have talked about the tech ecosystem in Africa without knowing where we started. I was so honored to have co-founded the first ever innovation hub in Uganda with him. It's called the Hive Collab. This is many decades ago. I remember John calling me one morning saying, hey, let's do this. I've never regretted it because I can see what the Hive Collab has become and the lives Hive Collab have changed and transformed. I've seen some people who have started at the Hive Collab who are today in Amsterdam, in Germany, all across the world. So it takes a small team to do something, but it takes a village to raise a child. So John, thank you so much for everything you have done for Africa. We then hosted the first ever events related to climate change. Many people didn't know at that time what we were talking about, but I went to see policymakers in over 30 countries. We got funding from the White House and Obama and Hillary Clinton. It is such an honor for me today in 2021 to invite John Gauthier to come and share his life journey, his struggles, everything he has done. He loves Africa and I can tell you he has transformed lives. John today is an investor in the film industry. He continues to want to help Africa. He wants to make sure the African stories are being heard and the black excellence told. I'm so proud of John and his achievements. Really, I am. So much to learn from his humble beginning to where he is today. I hope you're gonna learn from him. I love the conversation. And like I said earlier, I am so honored to have him now on the I Am The Good Podcast. Thank you so much and I will see you on the other side. Today, I invited my dear friend, somebody I know a long time ago, and I don't think he knows why I invited him, but we will have a conversation. So I've got my dear friend on the line. John Gossier, how are you? I'm well, how are you? Oh, long time no see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been some time. 
Oh, it's been some time. I was just trying to find out how many years, but it's quite a while. I think we're getting old now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least since, what, 2009, 10? Yeah, yeah, long time. Yeah, it's been, I, I just yeah. couldn't find out, but I know that it's over a decade ago, a long time ago. Yes. Well, John, I'm so happy to have you. Let me tell you why we invited you on the podcast. You probably may not know this, but I remember many years ago, you were part of the first individuals who trusted me really in coming and doing events with you, right? You invited me to come and help you. You were the first individual to actually believe in the African tech ecosystem. And I think sometimes I like to remind people, even, you know, you don't like talking about this kind of stuff, but I think it's really important that I mention this. And you trusted me. You were doing a lot of amazing work across the world. And then you chose Africa to help. You got us funding in the continent. I was very lucky to travel in so many countries to represent Apps for Africa. And I think today, when I look at the tech ecosystem, I think if we didn't have Apps for Africa at that time, I don't think we we're going to be here today. And I think the second thing is, you just trusted me to come and co-found the tech hub in Uganda. That was yeah. so that was so amazing. Hive Club is now, it has grown. And I think for me, I just want to say thank you for your service to humanity and thank you for helping Africa. Thank you for believing in us. And I just want to say thank you. Welcome on the I Am The Code podcast, John Gozi. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's been quite a journey. I know. <laughs> so how are you now? Where are you now? I am in Atlanta, Georgia, which is where I live now and am at home at my house. You've been, you've been, uh, you've been in, uh, in 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 Atlanta for for quite a while, no? Or is it just a new 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 city for you now? I moved back here about three years ago. I grew up here, so I guess originally I'm from the Atlanta area. But in between, for about ten years, I moved around the world. So I spent three of those years in Uganda, mm-hmm. which is where we crossed paths and started working yep. together so closely. And then moved around through Europe a little bit, then ended up in Philly. You know, I lived in Philly for a pretty long stretch, almost a decade, and then I moved back to Atlanta. Oh, wow. I do watch the Atlanta... I oh, the Housewives, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is it a real life? I have no idea, but I do watch them. <laughs> it's definitely how some people live here. It's particular side of Atlanta. It's like celebrities and yeah. people yeah. who kind of run in those circles. But um, yeah, it's very real. I wanted to ask you, how have you been coping with COVID-19? Did you travel or what did you do during COVID? So when the pandemic first hit last year, it was actually pretty busy for me because I had just written a number of scripts. So I was working on a couple of movies and then I started a new company focused on financing movies. So I spent all of last year just working. I was working from home and doing a lot of Zooms, but it was a very busy year. I think for the most part of last year, I just kind of stayed put. I took COVID very seriously. I haven't had it. Over those first couple of months, I just took it very seriously. I didn't go out in public too much and just kind of worked from home. And then towards the end of last year, I started to travel again. So I went to LA for work. And then this year, just a few months ago, I went to France uh, right before the Delta variant kicked off. I went uh, for the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, I saw that. that, Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Did you win an award from there? I think you won something, right? I did. I won an award from two organizations, one called uh, the Better World Forum, and then the other was one of their partners. And it was a big gala on the beach. It was it was really fantastic. Mm, I saw that. I mean, you deserve so many awards. <laughs> <laughs> 
when I saw you, I just felt that you were such a nice individual, a really kind person who really cares about impact. But can you tell the boys and girls listening to you, where has everything begun for you? Where were you born? Where did you go to school? Sure. So I was born in Virginia, which is where I spent my first couple of years. And then I moved to Atlanta when I was in the fifth grade. And then I grew up here the rest of the time. Finished grade school, went to middle school, high school here. And then I went to college here at a place called Savannah College of Art and Design, where I studied film. And a lot of people didn't know that. Everyone thought I studied tech. Everybody for you are tech. <laughs> yeah, tech, it was something I taught myself by doing it. I was kind of kind of learning as I was doing a lot of that stuff. But what I actually formally studied in school was, was film. It's fascinating you actually went back to it and won an award after many years later, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was full circle for me, you know. It's like I get to come back to where I started. It's amazing. And where are your parents? So one of the reasons why I moved back to Atlanta is my mom lives here and I can help her and be closer to my family here. Yeah, I know you've been very close to your mom. Yeah. You've been mentioning that quite a lot. So one of the other things I wanted to ask you as well, why Africa mattered to you? Why did you have to go to Africa to help us? So I saw it as an opportunity to exchange, right? To do business, to learn, to offer stuff to Africa and for Africa to do stuff for me. You know, I, I didn't necessarily see it as helping anyone, but there was several reasons reasons why I ended up in Africa. One, I love to travel. When I was in my 20s, I first started traveling. I've been around the world a couple of times, went backpacking in Europe. And then a few years later, I wanted to have that experience again, going to lots of different countries over a span of a couple of months. But I didn't have the same opportunity to do that. One, it was expensive. And two, you know, life gets in the way. So the opportunity presented itself in the form of a girl who I was dating at the time who did NGO work. She was working for a big NGO here in the U.S. And then she got offered a job in Uganda to be their country officer lead. And I just kind of followed her. I didn't really have any uh, grand plan. I was going to work on writing and I was teaching myself how to code and all that kind of stuff. And so for me, it was an opportunity to be with the person who I cared about and also to travel again, because it had been a couple of years since I had been able to do that. And when you move for an NGO here in the U.S., it's actually pretty accommodating. They tend to pay for pretty much everything. Like they pay for your travel there. They pay for you to ship stuff there. They pay for your housing for a certain amount of time. It was also a great way to get established in this new environment, Uganda, which I had never been to, and uh, do it in a way that was relatively inexpensive for me. So that's how I ended up in Africa. And then when I got there on the ground, I learned so much more. And that's when I started Africa and Apps for Africa. Uh, and, and Hive and all and Afro Labs and all these different things. The other thing that I want to ask you, I had my dear friend, Michael Bennett, who I took him in Senegal. He's my dear brother. Did you feel African when you came to Uganda? I felt enormous connection to the continent while I was there. Yeah, every time I'm there, no matter where I go, I do feel a connection. Did I feel African? No. And I say that because when you travel around Africa a lot, you start to see really is no air quote African, right? You've got Uganda, You've got Nigeria, you've got Malawi, you've got all these different places, all these different ethnicities within them, all these different languages, all these different everything. Mm -hmm. And so I always felt welcome. But I always respected that at the end of the day, I'm pretty much American. You know, <laughs> I, you know, my family, you know, you go back six generations, you can connect us to Cameroon and Nigeria. Yeah, you do look like someone from Cameroon. <laughs> but my family is from Southern Georgia, at least 
five generations of grandfathers were from right here in Georgia. So I'm pretty much American. So now I have more even love for you now because you have African genes. That's really beautiful. But one of the other things I always wanted to know about you is your creativity. Because when you were in Africa, you really created these very quick ideas that actually, as I said earlier, has formed the entire ecosystem for Africa, you know, getting money from the State Department. I remember us going to COP17, all of that. But how do you usually become creative? Where does your creativity come from? I would say problem solving. A lot of these creations, companies, programs... I created for very specific reasons, and they were partly to solve my own problems or to solve problems that I saw that nobody else was solving. So when I first got the idea for my company, Africa, which was like a consultancy to tech companies that wanted to do business in Africa, the main reason I started that company was because back then in 2009, 2008-ish, companies like Google and Facebook and Twitter and Yahoo and all these companies were coming to Africa. They didn't seem quite sure what they wanted to do there. They had no they idea. They it. had no idea. <laughs> and I thought it was odd that they were hiring so many people mm. from Europe, from America, from other parts of the world. And I was like, there's plenty of talent right here in Uganda. And I was like, why don't you hire them? And so I created Africa to solve that problem, to help them find talent. Almost like what Andela does now, yeah, yeah, yeah. but on a smaller scale and more creative, if you will. Well, I don't think it was more creative. I mean, I have my story with Andela because I remember going to Uganda, we actually created the coders of Africa. You are a recruitment agency. <laughs> I said to them, right, I said to them right. you come and stole our coders, but we actually sent the scene for you. And they didn't like me from that moment. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it matters, you know, where, where talent comes from. I think the reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast was many people don't know that the pioneering work you've done. For me, that's why I have a lot of love and respect for you because now you see the tech ecosystem, AfriLab and all of the tech hubs across Africa. And I remember in 2007, 2008, nothing existed. And Uganda today, the Hive Collab is almost the mirror of innovation in country. And so I always say to people, we need to go back a little bit on understanding our history as Africans, right? Sometimes we don't know where things came about and we need to learn from that. That's why I love the work you are doing right now around filming. And are you making any movies? And can we see something very soon? Several things are in the works. So one thing about history. So one of the things that I started writing before the pandemic, but during the pandemic, is I wrote a number of books about this time in Africa's modern history. So my own experience starting these companies, working with folks like yourself and Barbara from Hivepo Lab and Ben White, who was the founder of AfroLabs and all these types of people in that 2007 to 2012 era. I wrote a book about it. Oh, that's amazing. I hope my name is on it because I want to share this with the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it absolutely is. Oh, and wow. All good things. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but, I know. <laughs> um, it was such an exciting time. And that's the main reason why I started to write about that stuff was. because there was a lot of stuff happening and it's almost like I wouldn't say everyone forgot but I keep reminding them that's why we are on this podcast right now when I see pioneers I love people who pioneer and create things but I think the African tech ecosystem history now it has generated millions of dollars right and so many startups so many yeah. ideas but at that time when you came into Uganda and other people of course but I think the ideas that was generated the trust right the creating these companies yeah. No one cared about Africa, and you guys did, for sure. So that book is coming, yeah, I sold it already to a publisher here in the U.S., a really big publisher called HarperCollins. Not sure when that will be released, but that writing process inspired me to write other things. 
And so then I started working on a couple of movies, also inspired by my time in Africa. At my company, Southbox Entertainment, that's what we focus on. Contemporary stories about Africa's ecosystem. It's what's happening right now or what happened over the past decade, mm -hmm. not stuff that happened 200 years ago or 400 years ago. You know what I mean? It's, it's now. And so action, comedies, dramas... That's our focus these days. That's really amazing. I'm writing my book as well, but it's very important we document the period of 2005 to 2014, 15, because we were the first people to actually organize a hackathon. Yeah. We were the first organization to get funding from the State Department. Where at that moment, and we discussed climate change issues. When I see today a COP26 in Glasgow, I said to the African leaders, do you remember when we did Apps for Africa, climate change challenges, came to Africa to tell you about the story, ignored us? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. You remember that moment? Yeah, no, I mean, all that stuff was really powerful. It was so powerful. Um, yeah, and I mean, one of the big focal points in my own book is Apps for Africa. I think I counted 22 No, 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 African, 37 countries. 37, I was just counting the other day. countries. Mm -hmm. I was sleeping in Kinshasa at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was so exciting. I mean, and we did that in like three or four months. Yes, I mean, yes, it was incredible. Yes, yes. I really should send you some data for later on because we even changed the mining code for DRC for Kinshasa because when we did the Madagascar, I've got a photo still. I can send it to you. Madagascar, Tanzania, yeah, please, please. Ghana. Even if you see today... Alucius from Farmerline. These people have money now. Yeah. They're millionaires. They don't even pay us back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hello, uh, do you remember? It's, uh, it's, it's good to see. It's good to see. Yeah, um, it's amazing. It's really beautiful. It's really great. You have changed so many people's lives. But let me ask you, who has changed your life? Who has been mentoring you and supporting you? Um, so a wide variety of folks. I'm very grateful for a number of the people who I've been influenced by starting with my own grandfather, who was a farmer here in Georgia, just very focused on doing good work and providing for his family. I would say he was the first entrepreneur. He raised an entire family on a farm and that involved trade, that involved a lot of work with his hands, just very good influence. And then people who I've met in my travels, folks like yourself, who helped me understand a lot of these different ecosystems and work with them when I was in Africa. Oh, John. You remember I walk in Kampala with our dirty shoes on? <laughs> <laughs> From Makere University yeah, to yeah. Hive Club, my God. We had very sandy foods, like, and we were walking. It was so amazing. Before I moved to Africa, working here in the U.S., I had the chance to work with a really successful and a prominent film director named Tyler Perry, certainly someone who I learned a lot from. I love him. He's a very decent man, huh? Yeah, he's very successful, and a lot of things that I took from him weren't necessarily even related to film. It was really just about entrepreneurship and how to be successful on your own terms, which actually when I moved to Uganda, it was immediately after leaving his company. Oh, wow. He's very successful, kind, compassionate, and he's helping so many people, buying them houses, paying their food. It's unbelievable how generous he is, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great guy. It's really amazing to see people like that. But how about you? How are you using your time for good? You know, I wanted to document this podcast. I wanted to make sure that we put the work you have done, of course, collaboratively with us in Africa. But I think you don't like talking about yourself. You did a lot of good stuff. Anything else you are doing right now to support people in wherever you live? Yeah, I kind of do things in a way that allows me to be involved, but not divide my time too much because no one can do everything at once, right? So a lot of the stuff that I focus on now 
violence related to film and entertainment. And so one of the more successful philanthropic programs that I'm a part of is with a woman named Kristen Verklaas, who runs a group called Pavilion Afrique. And Pavilion Afrique is all about creating a platform, you know, like a conference series at major film festivals for African filmmakers. So for the past three years at the Cannes Film Festival, Mm -hmm. we run sort of like a parallel conference to the whole festival and African directors fly in, African-American directors fly in, financiers, Mm -hmm. uh, producers, writers, directors, actors, actresses. Uh, It's a very big event and every year at the Cannes Film Fest. And our goal is to expand to some of the other film festivals, including the Oscars and Berlinale and Toronto. And yeah, we've been doing that since 2019 and it's been very successful. That's amazing. The Biennale of Venice, but also in Africa, we have the Dakar, the Africa Film Festival. In Senegal, we have a lot of people going there because that's where the slave house is, right? So if you would like to go to Dakar, I took my friend Michael Bennett, the American NFL player there. But if you in Senegal definitely would love to bring it there. I think the African Americans who really want to know where they come from, the history, they should go to Nigeria, Senegal, Ghana to really see the slave houses, right? They're really crucial in their well-being, mental health, and just healing as well, right? Yeah, I mean, it's so much history. And, you know, it's up to us to tell our own stories. Absolutely. How did you cope with George Floyd dying? Did you feel safe in America? Uh, you know, that was interesting because I do remember how widespread the protests were. That was something I don't think I've seen in my lifetime. The only thing that probably even comes close in even my parents' lifetimes would be the civil rights movement in the 60s. I wasn't around then. But in my lifetime, I can't remember anything that has galvanized multiple cities, people of multiple backgrounds, multiple countries, multiple continents, all coordinating these protests and and these demands for change. Did I feel safe? And what's interesting is one morning I woke up where I lived in Buckhead at the time mm-hmm. here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I lived in a high-rise apartment that overlooked the whole city. Mm-hmm. And one morning I woke up and I just saw tanks coming down the street. It was the National Guard coming to try to stop some of the rioting and some of the stuff that was going on. And that was surreal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it felt like we were being invaded. So it was definitely surreal. It's quite hard for Black men in America, but I think it's really fascinating. I love the work you are doing as well recently in showcasing Black excellence and Black talent. I really love that. What makes you think that it's important to start highlighting? I've seen a lot of the work you're doing on LinkedIn and you're sharing on your platforms. Why do you think it's important to fund people of color and women? I've seen you doing that as well. Why is it important for you? One, it's opportunity, right? It's not really something that people should only do because it's philanthropic or charity, right? You know, we have good ideas and those good ideas need to be funded. What it is addressing is the unfair disadvantage a lot of Black creators and female creators unfortunately have to deal with because although everyone says in the tech industry, they like to say it's like, you know, everyone has a shot, everything's level playing field. It's really not because there's all sorts of perceptions and biases and microaggressions and microaggressions that affect one's success in that space. And so I think it's really important to invest in creators of all types. It shouldn't matter the skin color. It really should just be about ideas. So I'm an investor in a fund called Walkstar. Walkstar is a $50 million venture capital fund that uh, invests in predominantly tech companies led by women, women of color. So women like 
companies, women of color-led companies, and people of color-led companies is their focus, but it's not their exclusive focus. They will also make investments into companies that maybe don't have any of those women or people of color a part of them. And then part of their investment is to encourage those companies to hire or include them. No, no, I love that. One of the things I love about you, John, is the consistency. You've been doing the same thing. Up Africa, funding, investment. It's just so beautiful. <laughs> I think people need to know where you come from. How did you start doing all of this? And today, I know your film company will be so huge in the next, you know, five to ten years because I think you always have the right intention, right? Trying to bring people together, elevating people. And that led me to the question I just wanted to ask you. How did you discover your purpose? I know that around 2010, when you started to really think about Hive Collab and now more meaningful work and it looks like you really like what you're doing now. Did you discover your purpose still or are you still finding it? I feel I've found my purpose a number of times and it's kind of always evolving. Like I like to think of purpose as it's something that you find in the moment. It's not something that you find forever. For me, you know, when I was in Africa, I had a very specific thing that I felt was my purpose. You reminded me, I don't like to talk about myself. The reason why I didn't like to talk about myself then was because I didn't feel it was my role. I'm not the Teddy Rouges of the world. I'm not the Barbara Brungies of the world. I'm not the Lady Miriam Johns of the world. But you know, tell I your feel story. like those voices. Tell your story. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like those voices are important for Africa. I was very much aware that I can speak on behalf of great people in Africa, but I don't need to be the front and center, you know. You see that with a lot of NGOs, you know, you've got someone from somewhere who just wants to be the face of everything. And that was never me. And then now my focus is film and storytelling and changing Hollywood because it's kind of the same problem. It's just in a different form. Hollywood says everything is equal and, and you can get stories made and all these types of things. And it's just not true. not true. Everyone who is of color from somewhere else is at a huge disadvantage in Hollywood. And what you're seeing because of the rise of Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and Disney Plus and all these things is all that stuff they used to tell filmmakers who were Black or Asian or whatever in that their stories won't sell or that people won't watch them. They're being proven wrong every day. Well, why do you think is that then? Is it scared or what is the reason? Do, do you have any theory around that? Well, Hollywood is a hundred year old industry. I mean, when it kind of really boomed, at least here in the U.S., the country was still segregated. So the stories that were told were told by the people who had the power and the resources. And so it was a very white industry. And it really took about 50 years before you ever had the first prominent African-American actors and actresses start to win awards. And then it took another 25 years in the 80s for it to become kind of a niche mm. that they didn't really take very seriously. But then you started to get people like John Singleton and Spike Lee, who really were pioneers for not just, they weren't actors, right? They were directors and they were producers and they were business men who were able to really create an industry, a black film industry, whereas before it had just been kind of scraps that were thrown to us. And now what you're saying is you have a number of prominent, both African and African-American actors and actresses who are really starting to leverage their uh, control in the industry. You have a number of successful writers, directors, producers who are black or of African descent who are leveraging their power. And so it's changing because society's changed and a lot of the controls that used to be in place by the gatekeepers. They just don't have the ability to stop all of this momentum, especially 
in an age where people watch whatever they want all over the world. Anyone who has a bandwidth can watch Netflix. And what are they going to watch? They're going to watch stories that speak to them. And the stories that speak to them are not necessarily the stories that Hollywood wants to make. And I would say that's been the best thing about the past 10 years or so in the rise of streaming is that audiences get to tell Hollywood what to make now, whereas before it was the other way around. No, absolutely. It's really interesting what you said. When I think about you, I think about Sidney Poitier. <laughs> I was thinking about you the other day. I was like, you know, what question should I ask you, John? I was thinking about Denzel Washington and Sidney Poitier. Those people are so powerful people, but at the same time, I'm loving Ava DuVay. Uh, yeah, Ava DuVernay. Oh, yeah, she is. I mean, the movies she produced are so amazing really amazing. I don't know where does she get these ideas from, but we need more women like her. The other day I was watching 13 Slave or something. Oh my God. Really, really beautiful. Are you thinking about movies like that? Are you thinking that, you know, you could do something like that for Africa? Because I think there are so many stories, John, we can pick up from refugees, from the continent that we really need your help. At Southbox, we're open to anything. So anything related to Africa is kind of our focus. Mm. So developing stories, scripts, TV shows, feature films that either are set in Africa, are about African diaspora, or intellectual property that is acquired from Africa. African creators. So uh, absolutely. It's really amazing. The other thing I was going to ask you as well, we have young women and girls listening to this podcast. The young women and girls are marginalized. They live from, you know, the most deprived places in Africa and they want to become major personalities. They want to tell their own stories. What message do you have for them? They don't have opportunities. But when I hear their stories, it's really unbelievable. Any message you have for the girls listening to you right now? Yeah, I would say that, of course, resources are constrained. But one of the great things about the world right now is there are a number of ways to get your voice heard with very little money, with very little equipment. For instance, right now we're recording a podcast Well, I'm on my phone. That's all you need. You don't even necessarily need a smartphone, right? You just need something to record. You can post that stuff via platforms or you can go to places like Hive Collab or you go to other places that will give you connectivity. And so I would say it's amazing main thing is to start recording and start performing and start getting out there because no one can discover you if they don't know that you exist. And that means doing whatever you can to let people see your talent. Don't hide it. Let people know that that talent is there. Wow, that's beautiful. But let me ask you as well now from the tech side, you know, at I Am The Code, we are teaching young women and girls how to code. We just discussed your pioneering work. In my personal opinion, I really think that you are a pioneer. But our goal is to give them skills. They are learning how to code across the continent. But what skills do you have or you have developed over the decades that you think these young boys and girls need to have. When I think about you, I always think about consistency, kindness, and you actually care about some subject matters. Is there anything else you think these young girls need to learn as they build themselves and evolve as human beings? Yeah, I mean, I think when learning to code, it's always about what are the modern technologies? What's everyone using? And that's forever changing. It's one of the things that makes it really hard to be a coder is because things that you learned six months ago can easily be outdated and you got to learn something that's new six months later. Staying on top of that, I think is the most important thing. Read a lot and I would use technologies a lot because coding is not 
one of those things like building a house where you just learn to kind of follow instructions and you can just kind of do it and rinse and repeat. Coding is really a creative discipline. As much as it is scripts and some math and some other types of things, learning these different languages, et cetera, as much as it's about that, it's also about problem solving and being able to adapt any given situation, at least as it comes to coding. And so in order to do that, you need to be able to understand why you're coding, what you're coding, how is it going to fit into a company or into the world or into people's lives? And you need to be able to adapt. It's really amazing. How about your leadership skills? What skills do you have as a leader that you think that they should follow or at least learn about it? Well, I mean, I'll continue with the same theme. I would say the first one is being able to adapt. And what I mean by that is being able to look at the world around you, mm -hmm. look at the situations that you're in, look at the things that are coming your way, the curveballs that you don't expect, and being able to work with them, being able to work with the unexpected. The other, I would say, is communication. Most people are not good at communication. I'm not good at communication, but it's the number one thing that I work on because that's the basis for all relationships, whether you're the boss or whether you're an employee, whether you're an investor, whether you're a founder, whether you're a filmmaker, it doesn't matter. It starts with communication. And so I would say that's second. And then third for me is empathy. When I say empathy, what I mean is look at things from other people's perspective. Mm. It'll help with your communication. It'll help with your adaptability. So those three things I think are the most important. You definitely have empathy. I know that. The other thing I was going to ask before we finish your podcast is how are you taking care of your mental health? I know you've been talking about this as well. So many people of color and in our communities in Africa, I'm, I'm writing my book, as I said, one of the topic I'm touching quite a lot is post-stress trauma disorder. How are you taking care of your mental health and supporting people in your community? I think about that a lot. I think uh, for me, it's really just taking time to reflect. It's taking time to take care of my physical health as well. Uh, I find that some of the best reflection and some of the best times that I can just kind of refresh is through exercising because so goes the body, so goes the mind. At least for me, it's, it's really cathartic. And then I would say just taking time to appreciate your little successes. It's not always about closing big deals or raising tons of money. I'm very appreciative of what I get to do day to day. Mm. I'm very appreciative of just the comforts that I've been able to put in my life. And, you know, it doesn't all happen at no, once. It doesn't. And so you have to appreciate the climb as well. The small wins, right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> it's like when we went to get the State Department to give us money to do apps for Africa. Those are small wins. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say that was a big, big win, win. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it led to a lot of small wins. And there's a lot of things that came out of that. And you were talking about Farmer Line. That's I'm Marvel every day because I remember we were probably their first check. I know, um, no, 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 don't it. say the first step. I remember <laughs> him the other day. I was joking about it. I remember going to the embassy. I don't know if you remember, but you connected us with the U.S. embassies. And then I remember he couldn't even speak. We had to do some coaching for him because the press in Ghana invited them at the U.S. Right, embassy. Right. And today when I see them, I say like, you know, you guys need to pay us back, right? <laughs> <laughs> You know, Johnny, have a couple of more questions. Um, I know you love food and I really I'm really happy that you know you are you are celebrating your wins with food. So where are you eating now? I heard that you go to amazing places. Because you always loved the food, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I love I, I love food, I love cooking. So a lot of the pictures I post on social media is stuff that I make. Right now I'm really into trying to make Asian cuisine and African cuisine. So this weekend I had some jollof rice. Oh. With, uh, <laughs> and sausage. 
that was great. And then I made some Asian inspired lettuce wraps, honey sriracha chicken. That was great. Yeah. So I I love cooking. I mean, talking about small wins, one of the things that I do every day when I'm working from home um, is um, I either have on the news or I have on the food channel. It's one or the other. I don't really watch anything else. (laughs) You know, maybe I think one of the things you're going to probably tell me in the next couple of years as you evolve, you're going to tell me I'm investing in food companies now. <laughs> I'm waiting yeah, for them news it to come. <laughs> you know, John, one of the other things I really love is the fact that you are evolving. And we have all evolved, to be honest with you. We've grown up. What are the steps do we need to take to be humble? Because you are a very humble person as well. Is there any advice you have for these young people who are listening to you right now who have no idea where we started and, and how did we make it here? Any tips of humility? What do they need to do to just stay grounded like you? Yes, I have lots of advice on that because I would say from 2008 to 2014, that era that we were talking about, you, I, and several other people were very kind of visible. And with that kind of visibility and success, you know, some people can take advantage of it or it can go to their head. So I always used to tell myself, don't believe the hype. (laughs) You know, it's like people are writing all these articles about you and they're telling you how great you are and all this stuff. Mm. And some people actually believe it. It can be toxic. And I always just kind of downplayed it or tried to because, you know, the press has an agenda too. And I'm not, I'm not saying that as a conspiracy theorist or anything, but they're trying to tell a story and the story they're trying to tell doesn't necessarily match your reality. And so you don't want to get too caught up in what other people are saying because other people don't really know what your story is. So. If the listeners find themselves in a position where they're starting to get success in their own lives and they're starting to make money or whatever it is they consider success, I would say that's the number one rule. Don't believe the hype. No, 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 absolutely. That's such a good advice. You know, one of the things I've learned this week personally is that if you don't tell your story, somebody else will be writing your history. I'm so honored to know that you, number one, are taking this whole film industry and you will be making an amazing movie. I will work with you quote Hartley to tell the stories of so many women and girls and I hope you and I can go to Senegal to visit the Gore Island and I can introduce you to some of the artists there. I think there'll be amazing stories coming from Africa from you in the next couple of years. But I just want to say thank you so much for joining. Do you have any last message for these young girls and boys, the young people of Africa who are listening to you right now? What is your last message for them? I would just say thanks for listening and I encourage them to pursue their passions, their dreams, their stories, and let the world know who you are. Well, John Gozier, I'm actually getting emotional because I think I know where you started, right? I know how kind and compassionate you were to include us. I'm now 47 years old and I've seen a lot, you know, across the continent. But Africa, we cannot write the history of Africa without including you. And I want to thank you on behalf of Africa, behalf of the girls for creating things right before mobilizing people fund and i remember very clearly i showed the hillary clinton video to people all the time and when people talk about climate change and i said you know john goze did this long time ago and we talk about it and, and the hive collab has created millionaires barbara has changed uh, teddy has changed and i see your work you don't see it but as you said we are the best communicators the best advocate to tell the story of our continent in a factual and evidence-based way that's why i created this podcast where people ask me why do you create a podcast but I said, I'm a pioneer. I pioneer things. You know, I create things for the continent because if we create this podcast, you invite people who 
have done it before and they've done something for me. This is my gift to you. So thank you for coming on the podcast, John Gozier, and thank you so much for helping us. And and I'm so happy that, um, you know, we are connected again. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, thanks for being a friend all these years. Uh, thank you. Do you want to talk to the boys and girls? Just uh, introduce yourself, your name and your company. Sure. Uh, hi, my name is John Gossier. I am the founder of Southbox Entertainment, which is a film production company based here in Atlanta, Georgia. And we are excited to tell more of Africa's stories with African creators. John, have a lovely day today. I hope this podcast will mobilize and motivate so many boys and girls. Thank you for being a friend of Africa. Africa. <laughs> and you are now African, yeah, so we won't you. let you go. <laughs> like I said, he's genuinely a great guy. Somebody who has done so much for Africa. One of the things I've learned from our conversation with John today is that we must ensure that young boys and girls have the tools, the connectivity, the resources, and the support they need to pursue and succeed in the creative industry. And I want to make sure the boys and girls learn about how to tell their stories. Today we are telling the stories of myself and John, but there are so many stories to come. Someone have to write them and tell them in a very dignified, empathetic and authentic way. So investing right now in the film industry or in a creative industry is just wonderful and fantastic, so timely. The other thing I've learned as well is that Despite all the challenges you'll be going through, give yourself the love you deserve over and over again. You deserve love. You matter. No matter where you are waking up today, you deserve to take care of yourself. Give yourself some mental rest. You deserve it. Remember, you have one single life. Take care of yourself. You have been listening to the I Am The Code podcast. I'm your host, Mariam Jam. What a day. What a day to know that Aisha in Lahore is listening to this podcast. It's beautiful. Humanity is wonderful. Absolutely beautiful. If you haven't seen what we're doing next week, we will be honoring beautiful human beings all across the world. Please join us. Come and celebrate with us the Humanity Award Gathering. Don't forget to subscribe to the I Am The Code podcast. Please kindly share. Sharing is loving. The more you share this podcast, I am sure there's somebody out there who will have his life change. Please share it. We're a very small team at I Am The Code, totally dedicated to making the world a better place by creating inspiring content for people who want to do better and be better. Most of us want to do well in life, but we don't have access. So here we are. Please use the I Am The Code podcast to change your life. Remember to discover your purpose. It, it will take time. But go out there. What are you here for? Why are you on this earth? Ask yourself that. Remember to donate to I Am The Code Foundation. Every dollar counts. And please make us your charity of choice. Because when you support us, many, many people will have their lives change. I want to thank you so much for all you do, your loyalty, your support, listening to the podcast, giving me your feedback. Thank you so much and hey, have a lovely weekend. I will see you next week. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>